All right, here we are, Real Dirt, Chip Baker and Mr. Soul. Today's guest is one of the most infamous cannabis breeders in uh, current history. Say hello, Mr. Soul. Hello, folks. Uh, hi, Chip. It's great to be here with you. Rather than infamous, I wish you had used uh, illustrious or something. Illustrious. <laughs> I don't want that negative connotation. <laughs> yeah. I know. Hey, just... Breaking your balls a little. No, I never took infamous as a, a, a bad connotation. Yeah, you don't see that negative in there. <laughs> anyway, I just had to be a smart ass. Uh, no, I see you got a, a, a joint there. I'm, uh, there. I'm about to fire up. Uh, we just rolled this uh, joint of the Cinderella 99 uh, grown from our recent release of seeds. As um, you know, I know that you're an old, an old soul, and uh, and has you know you've been in 20 some odd years in the cannabis world as I have, and. Probably have had uh, Cinderella ninety nine cross your uh, yeah. cross your lips a few times, and just uh, last night. As I, a matter of I fact, I really enjoy lighting up uh, the new freshly grown uh, from our new release of seeds with folks, so that they can really say like, "Holy shit, it's the same thing," you know? Because of course, that's what everybody wonders is like, "Wow, is, is it, it really going to be like? You know, did he really push the reset button, and we can buy the same seeds that were available in two thousand or nineteen ninety nine? And indeed, you can, you know. And I guess. Uh, to settle that question that's burning on a lot of people's minds, especially the folks who feel like, you know, hey, I really understand how breeding works and stuff. And I, I, how the hell did he do that? You know, like, how can he yeah. be claiming to bring back the Cinderella 99 from 1999? Tell us. Not that difficult, really, if you think about it. When you make seeds, uh, the female plant is the mother and the male plant's the father, obviously. It is very easy to continue to keep a mother alive. And people have passed clones around, obviously, you know, for eons. And so what happened was when I pulled out of the business, I had Genius and Princess, the two breeding clones, the females that I used for the Apollo line and for Cinderella 99, they're in safekeeping with friends, you know, growing them mm -hmm. and keeping a mother and clones and, you know, always keeping it alive. So now each of those two clones are 20 years old. I first germinated them in 1996. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, I guess they are, aren't they, right? So that's the female side of the equation. I can easily re recreate uh, Cinderella 99 because Princess was the mother plant that gave, that created the seeds and right. as long as she's pollinated by the right male. Right. So how do you get the right male? You know, because males are very difficult to keep over the years like a female clone it uh, the males tend to get all scraggly and kind of you know want to pollinate and they, they right, get frustrated. You know, they're not they're not they're not easy hours. to keep. Yeah. yeah, I mean nowadays there's uh, there's tissue culture which would be a great way to start storing your males almost like on a hard drive. Sure. You know what I mean? You could yeah, right. when you need them they're there. But what I did was put in the freezer when I pulled out of the business back in uh, 2002 a pretty large cache of all the seeds that I had been working with and among them were the P94 generation of seed that is the generation of seed that produces the male that when crossed to princess gives you Cinderella 99. So simply grew out um, enough of those seeds and I know what kind of a male from that generation will do the job and uh, they're a very consistent, uh, stable strain anyway, so it wasn't hard to find, okay, there's the right kind of male. In fact, I got what I believe to be you know, an exceptional, perhaps better than the first time male, and um, I'm very happy with what I'm seeing growing from those seeds at this point, and I'm sure everybody else will be too. It's right around this moment that having released them in April and we're now at the end of August, uh, it's conceivable that people who bought them on the release date are now mm -hmm. harvesting flowers if they're growing right. indoors. And uh, So same seed lot on the males, mm -hmm. right? And uh, same clone. Right. Right. Uh, and you just planted out a new seed lot. 
mm-hmm. right? That's based on the historic seed lot from 20 years ago. Yep, exactly. And just and and pollinated your your princess. Exactly, and right. that yeah. that gives you Cinderella 99. Yeah. The Apollo line, very similarly for Apollo 13, that was uh, the P-75 generation male crossed to to Mm -hmm. Genius, and that gives you Apollo 13, which, by the way, it's one of the better-known hybrids that Brothers Grimm and myself personally created. The Apollo. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. That's what everybody talks about. You know, if they're not talking about Cinderella 99, then it's, you know, I have the big fans of the Apollo lines. And 13, um, you know, we only released about 500 seeds originally. It was, oh, wow, really? It was, you know, as you can tell from the fact that I was using the P75 um, generation of uh, the, the progenitors uh, that laid up to Cinderella 99, uh, I hadn't gotten to Cinderella 99 at that point. So when I created Apollo 13, I was only on the P75 generation leading up to Cinderella 99. And so... I used one of those males on Genius just out of curiosity, made a you know small amount of seed and let them go up to uh, Richard at uh, Heaven Stairway, who was our only distributor. <laughs> sure. And uh, lo and behold, you know, it took off and everybody was really psyched about it. And for me, it was just sort of a stepping stone to getting to Apollo 11, which is what I really was trying to create by using Genius and uh, a Cinderella 99 male. So what, what was your, you, you say you're trying to get to Apollo 11. What was your goal there? Uh, well, Apollo 11 was, um, in my mind, you know, the taking Cinderella 99 and then seeing what a male Cinderella 99 would do to the sister of Princess, which, um, again, you know, one of the things, I don't want to go off on a tangent because I do that far too right. easily hey, I'll st- anyway. I'll st- I'll stop. But yeah, um, I'll, you're going to get me you. talking about stuff that, like, okay, we're going to drift too far from the main <laughs> subject. What, what, were, what were we what talking were we about? We, you know, yeah, no, Apollo 11, uh, the idea was that, uh, you know, I'd use C99 as the male, and then this would be something that I'd make a lot of seeds of. You mm-hmm. know, this is an end product. This wasn't a stepping stone that, you know, I'm on my way to getting to something. And, you know, if you guys want to check it out, you know, I'll make it available to you, which was basically what was happening with. Apollo 13. Then uh, it sort of took off and had created a legend of its own. And um, now I find myself sort of saying, well, I got to fill that niche. And um, so we're smoking now Apollo 13. No, this 11. is the Cinderella 99 from the most, from the recent, recent pack. Yeah. Now uh, I'm a, uh, a terrible manicure. Uh, I, when they I don't do my see blends. that on, no, on the I'm air, just letting on you audio. Know. No one sees that. <laughs> and you rolled so, it up. So I, I didn't, I'm yeah. not going to judge you for a little leaf. No. Right. Anyway, <laughs> I actually think it's done. probably a better sign of a higher mm. quality product. Yeah. Most of the problem here in Colorado is the green trim. Mm. They just trim it fresh, and it's mm. so hard to cure and dry cannabis properly that way. And, oh, yeah. We you know, found here in Colorado with the lower um, humidity, we leave more leaf on during the wet trim so that it allows the drying process to slow down a bit and, and then you know right. compensate for that low humidity. And if people aren't doing that, yeah, they're going to have a problem with that. But <laughs> my partner, Duke Diamond, is always bugging me. You know, not bugging me. Like friends, we bust each other's balls a little bit. And uh, you know, he's like, oh, dude, you, know, you got to trim the leaf off of that. That, that looks terrible. And so I'm like, I look at it and I'm like, well, this is basically for my personal head stash that I'm going to keep in a cabinet in the kitchen and a, and a mason jar and uh, a little extra sugar leaf around my bud doesn't bother me. You know, that's, that's, that's old school as it gets. Yeah. That says you're from the 80s. Mm. 
That's for sure. Well, that's when I first learned how to grow and breed, and uh, I ended up working for Super Sativa Seed Club. Yeah, man. Let's let's start yeah. right there. Let's. Oh, start you want to go you. back to the beginning? Let, let, let's 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 give us your story. Sure, by all means. Right. So you were an engineer by trade. You studied nuclear engineering yep. in in the eighties and became interested in the cannabis. I had a desire to go back to college and you know learn things because I'm a curious guy, and I guess um, me too. Physics, mathematics, all that kind of th- you know the things that allow you to look out at your environment and then do a calculation and understand why things work the way they do. That was the way my brain worked. I had a strong uh, analytical side. So that appealed to me and that's what I was in college for. But at the same time, you know, I had um, always been a pot smoker as a teenager. I mean, I've certainly drifted away from it for periods of time when I needed to be serious about things. No, I'm not a teenager anymore. You're looking good though. Hey, thank you. Keeping a Keep I, the bicycle Keep is the fit. thing, you know. If you keep riding a bicycle bike practically every day, um, right. you never drift too far off of being relatively fit. <laughs> but yeah, in, at that time, uh, you know, my more creative side was saying, you know, oh yeah, you know, you're studying all this high level technical stuff in college, but um, you have that walk-in closet in your um, room, and uh, we, as roommates, you know, gang of us, uh, three of us together, we're hanging out, and I'm like, I could be growing pot in that closet if I got a light. You know, I, I got a book, like, I think the it was, light bulb the first book I got was Indoor Marijuana Cultivation by oh, Jorge, yeah. San, uh, uh, Jorge, Jorge Cervantes. Cervantes, and uh, so I just, you know, devoured that, and uh, Mine was Ed, Ed Rosenthal's book, yeah, his original people, one. It's either one or the, one one or or the other. other of those two, Yeah, usually. that's the camp you end up in. Right, Ed or or Jorge. <laughs> yeah, didn't really matter. It's changed a little bit now, though. Jorge's really taken over that industry. Has he? Yeah. Yeah. So um, that was the start, you know, and then you dabble, you mess around, um, make some mistakes. The old adage that I stick to is uh, beginners never d- underdo anything. So, you know, you, you right. see somebody who's a newbie and they're having a problem with something. You, you say, you know, okay, what is this guy doing too much of? You know, he's either mm-hmm. over-fertilizing, over-watering, over-something. Mm-hmm. The only thing they underdo is how much light they put on the plant usually. It's like, uh, <laughs> That's a really I'm good trying analogy. to get, you know, like... Uh, I put 3,000s on it instead of one. <laughs> right, you know, they usually overdo things. But so I made my mistakes in those directions over for fertilized a plant. What year was that? Oh, I'm talking 84. 84, yeah. all yeah. right. That's when the first like halide lights really were... For sale in high times. Yep, That's exactly. When it started, That's pretty right? much what happened is I was reading high times and, uh, you know, you get to the back and you start to see the advertisements and things. And I ordered seeds, I ordered lights, you know, and uh, little by little, uh, you know, got very passionate about it. And I managed to keep up my studies, obviously. I, I, I went on and got my master's degree and uh, actually won a uh, fellowship for that, that they, they gave me that uh, master's degree for free. I went to Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, RPI, up in Troy, New York. And so that was all like this incredible experience that I felt really proud about. But I like to kind of think back on now how it's amazing that the sideline interest that I had while studying nuclear engineering mm. ended up being my vocation, really, yeah, compared to what, you know, the, the other way around would have been, you know. Totally, uh, your passion you would became have, your yeah. vocation. And uh, that's Many people great. have lived that. Many people, that's a common thread in the cannabis industry. It was like, oh, I was doing this other stuff really successful, or I wasn't doing anything successful, but weed always worked for me. Cannabis, weed, mm. marijuana always worked. I knew from the first time I smoked it, it was sort of, like, wow, this is uh, something that transcends mm-hmm. um, right. the rest of my experience, uh, you know, here on the planet so far. And I was intrigued by, you know, why is that, that this really, I feel like plugged in and uh, 
there's something really very special about this experience and something universal about it that, you know, all your brothers and sisters who share it with you, you know, you kind of know the answer to the huge question that was raised by Jean-Paul Sartre, the philosopher, the existentialist philosopher in, in Paris of, you know, how do I know that everyone else is having the same experience as I am? Because I can't get inside their heads, you know, and I can't know that even when I see the color red or green, that we can all agree that that's red or green, but doesn't mean that each of us sees it in exactly the same way. We may right. all have Perception. our own little code green or code red that could be an entirely different shade, but we see it the way we see it and the other person sees it the way they see it and we can still agree on it. You know, so the point being, it's a really difficult question to answer. Am I having the same experience? Am I really seeing things and feeling things the same way as another human being? And he used one example um, that was great and it really makes it clear that we are. And his example was when you get caught doing something that you're ashamed of and you look up and you, you like, oh, fuck, I'm busted. That sense of shame, you know everybody else. Like at that moment, you know, like he, he knows what I'm feeling and I know that he knows what I'm feeling and that whole circle is completed. So marijuana is a similar kind of thing to me that um, Getting high with somebody or even just letting down your hair and letting somebody else know that you're also a smoker. There's sort of a commonality that builds that that that's really speaks to humanity and the communication yeah. and connectedness between us all. So I love it for that. And cannabis spans so many socioeconomic and cultural differences. Hmm. So many different people unify by smoking weed. I, I really believe uh, that everybody smokes marijuana to some degree, and <laughs> some admit it more than others. <laughs> Hysterical. Yeah. Yeah, depend on where you are. You're absolutely right about that. <laughs> I firmly believe that. But what seeds were you growing then? How'd oh, you get the seeds? How'd that a happen? Great, great question, actually. I had looked in High Times and saw an advertisement with some beautiful pictures from the Super Sativa Seed Club, SSSC. And I sent off uh, an envelope with the money and, you know, the wrapped in uh, carbon paper, as they used to uh, suggest you that to you do, do that. Right. And, and I got my seeds. I picked <laughs> out um, a couple different strains, you know, nothing like recognizable today and probably didn't even make the best choices, but I just kind of went by, oh, that sounds good, or look at the pictures, right, look at like, that you know, which we'll speak to now, because I know how the buy seed buying public is today. It's kind of, yeah, like, I have to remember back to when I didn't know anything either, and I was mm -hmm. just going by the picture and the description. Right. But there's some Huge, basic things you should fruity, know before colas. you buy seeds that I'm going to be discussing uh, later when we get to it. Anyway, um, so I bought SSSC seeds, started growing them, had some experiences with them, um, having followed the directions uh, that were in the catalog that came with the seeds, I felt, hmm, you know, uh, since they're telling me how I should be doing this and suggesting certain methods that they use, like growing on rock wool, um, let me write back to them with my results and my questions. And I started doing that. And I don't think many people did. Um, right. You know, uh, here I am kind of an articulate uh, writer type guy and involved in they this They probably endeavor. hadn't heard it from any of their customers. And so he, he, I think their ears pricked up and they're like, oh, look at this guy. He knows how to write. You know, he asks good questions. He seems to understand what he's doing. Uh, you know, that, that yeah. probably didn't happen too often. So they, they, the owner of the company got in touch with me and asked, can I give you a phone call? And I said, sure. So he calls me and says, hey, I'm um, really impressed by the questions you asked. 
task and your command of what you're doing, we really could use somebody like you who's on the ball to work with us from the state side. I said, how could I help? Uh, well, what we would need you to do is have a cache of all of our different strains of seeds in your home that you could then package into uh, small bites to the individuals who purchase them inside your country because for us it would be so much more effective and uh, more uh, risk-free if we can send it in in bulk to you and then you distribute from within the United States. And of course that makes perfect sense. And I said, absolutely. And I had no idea how lucrative it was going to be, but they started sending me envelopes every week that were just stuffed with $100 bills. And uh, you know they would also have in that envelope a list of people's names and addresses and the associated order of seeds that went with each name and address. So I would simply, you know, fill those orders and the envelopes kept coming and um, that was going along beautifully. And of course, with all of those different uh, seed strains at my disposal in my home and with growing space and a, a great interest to grow them and breed them and learn, I spent uh, four years or so just um, playing with all those different strains, crossing them, growing them indoors, growing them outdoors. I could tell you some stories of amazing things that you would never have thought, oh my, that, it, those two things went together and did that? You know, like how did that, probability of that's probably very low. But uh, for example, I did a, um, a cross with a Durban Thai skunk number one, and both of them require a reasonable amount of time to mature. And you wouldn't have expected that cross to be something that would be able to be harvested in the northern United States. Uh, I was living in Connecticut at the time. But I threw a handful of them into the ground outdoors in a patch that was just off of a highway where I could kind of like drive by every day and, you know, they're out in the field there somewhere hidden in these bramble bushes and it was no real path to get to them because I made sure that, you know, I don't want to well, beat a path to Just put you them in. And I had to... Everybody knew. Yeah, you know, like I waited about six to eight weeks and came back and saw that, okay, there's some males, you know, and I can tell that, you know, they, so I started, uh, I hacked out all the males and left the females and lo and behold, the end of October, I had these beautiful, glistening, very resinous, uh, purple uh, budded plants that I've never seen anything since then. <laughs> it was so damn beautiful. And I didn't keep any of that. It was just a harvest, bring it home, you know, cure it and put it in mason jars. And uh, I relished that stuff for a while. So anyway, point <laughs> being, I learned a lot, had time to do a lot of cool experiments at my own leisure and um, and it went on for four or five years, I want to say. And then I met a woman who became my wife and uh, she wasn't into cannabis and felt very strongly that I should quit uh, all that. You gave up weed for love. Yeah, you know, I happen. made one of the, those uh, foolish decisions. Uh, well, you had five good years. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, then I had five years of marriage um, and then she decided, you know, okay, she wants to be divorced from me anyway. And so I got a chance to she come back change into you. this. You well, were still smoking weed behind the curtains and stuff. I did get caught smoking yeah, pot right, behind right, the curtain, right. yeah, behind her back. <laughs> yeah. Our son had just been born in Scotland, and uh, I was there on an engineering project for a year, I mean, some kind of um, engineering project, nuclear-related thing, right? And um, the company that sent me there was ABB, Asia Brown Bavaria, and they 
they they had set it all up, uh, and and many times with engineering companies, they're sort of behind the curve and need to hurry and get something you know before they really have everything in place. And that was the case with me. They put me there before I had my working papers worked out. So to solve that, you know, I'm there on sort of a visitor visa at first, and they flew me out and uh, had to fly me back in again with the proper papers. That's how it works. And they said, you know, just go someplace not too far from where you are and fly right back. And I said, uh, how's Amsterdam sound? And they said, okay. <laughs> and they didn't know me at all, obviously, right? Yeah, they're so, like, oh, he's going to go see some art. Yeah, he's going to yeah. go uh, walk through the uh, Van Gogh Museum, uh, yeah, exactly. which I did do, of course. But, of course. But it wasn't before I had toured the red light district and stopped in a few coffee shops. Absolutely. You, know, and you definitely went high to came enjoy back the to my wife <laughs> with, you know, like a little stash in my bag and she, she didn't know about that. And I got away with, you know, sneaking off on bike rides and <laughs> toking up, you know, once or twice a week. Um, but there was one particular occasion where I guess I was just coming home from work that night and stopped and smoked up a little bit more than I should have. Got home and she's like, are you hot or something? What's going on? And I got right in my face, smelled my breath. I was busted, you know, Jean Paul Sartre moment. <laughs> so, um, oh, you went from feeling good to feeling down. Oh man, she, she busted me. <laughs> oh, bad times. Let's, yeah. Let's, man. So, so, so that, that allowed you mm -hmm. to go to Europe though. Yeah, it did. Right? I got, I got started with, you know, my love affair with Europe. I I love the European lifestyle and being there. Um, you know, I just really enjoy the hell out of that. Um, and and got to spend quite a long time in French speaking countries to the point now I've been speaking French for twenty five years. Um, so that's something that I think uh, everybody should try to do. I, I set it learn as a another goal. language. Yeah. I set it as um, a goal for myself before I die I should at least be bilingual and be able to play a musical instrument, you know. So <laughs> I can play guitar and speak French. So now, uh, where were we? Because again, I'm we we're talking about going tangential. to Europe, man. You just got oh, my, you just gotten divorced for getting of, too high. Yeah. So after the divorce, I went back to Europe for another couple of years, and that's when I met my second wife, Nadine, and we got married just shortly before returning to the states and moving to Boston, where I started Brothers Grimm. Sort of not planning to do that. That's just what came out of those years of work there. Before going, um, I guess what happened was I had a little conversation with the wife and, you know, she knew that, oh, you know, every month you scoot up in the train to Amsterdam and come back with your supplies for the month. And what are you going to do when you live in America, you know, to get weed? And I, was, I said, well, I used to be a grower and um, I could just start growing it again. And she just like, oh, I like that idea because then you don't have to be out on the street, you know, with seedy, uh, yeah, right. seedy types, you know, <laughs> taking risks or something. And it'll give you a, you know, she loved the idea, a hobby that keeps her man at home. You know, she's a little right. bit of a possessive type. And, like, and know, gave you a little money as well. She didn't really have reason to be because I'm right, right. trustworthy. Well, but she she liked that idea. And yeah, and then the extra money on the side, instead of paying money out to people in the street mm. to, to get your weed, here I've got my own little hobby in the closet and I'm supplying my weed. Then I'm someplace where she can see that I'm safe. And, you know, so it all appealed to her. And when we got there, um, you know, that's what we did. But I got to back up one second to fill in the story of where Brothers Grimm came from and how did I ever, you know, get the genetics that became Cinderella 99, Apollo 11 and 13 and all that. So I'll hey, tell man, you that's that. A, that's, a, that's a great place to break. Let's break for you one second. You want to take a break? Man. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, this is, uh, this is Real Dirt, Chip Baker, Mr. Soul. We'll be back. Getting dirty.
And we're back. Real dirt. Just did a nice one hitter of uh, genius here with Chip. And uh, that set us up nicely to get back in the game, I think. I love Genius. It is uh, one of my favorite all-time strains. And it's something that when people say that, you know, I have to think to myself, well, does this they person, have it, right? did they really have Genius, you know? And, right, because there's I so have much say, stuff well, out there that's the, just called the Genius Pheno. Yeah, right, right exactly. Right, and I right. can easily see, like, the story where you start with the kid at the head of the class and let, let them retell the story kid by kid to the end, and mm-hmm. the story changes over. Imagine 14 years of time that's gone by that Brothers Grimm has been defunct and now we're back in business. Yeah. And I always question, well, if somebody says, well, yeah, man, I grew some C99 and, uh, you know, it was great. You right. know, let, I'm like, yeah, I'm glad to, the, the thanks for the kind words. I just wish I could believe that whoever right. you got that from, you know, was, was, was telling you the truth and you, you had the right thing. And I was lucky enough of, to have my, my finger on the pulse at the time. Yeah. If you knew the right people, and it was definitely available. 2000. Right, I believe is when we first got it, maybe yeah. 2001. I would say, right. you know, because guys that were in the 77, I was pretty free about sending clones of right. Genius, but I was NCGA. jealously That's guarding Princess as sort of a breeding stock that I wanted to keep to myself and, you know, not have people mucking about with it, to use an English uh, expression, but uh, I'd rather have control over that. And, you know, we'll talk about the issue of yeah. control and breeding later and, you know, the the attitudes and um, and personalities absolutely so genius of, was uh, you could give you felt so. like you could give that out i could what? give that out because i just wanted everybody to share this great cut that was just a blast to grow and smoke and i think it's really indicative of uh when i look at that i think like that's what marijuana is supposed to look like you oh, know yeah. what i mean and um princess is more of a breeding female that you know you, do, you don't grow princess just for the sake of that clone itself as Mm -hmm. being some sort of ideal she fits into the category of wow does she ever pass on incredible genes to her female progeny um and the males exactly you know as well um and it's a breed yeah it's a breeding and so is genius to a lesser degree you know it's more of a base versus an accent um, where princess is something that I use to accent something. Um, the genius is sort there's of nothing like, like the genius. All of the genius likes or wannabes. There's nothing like that flavor, right? That high. I mean, it, it's just it's this incredible, like racy, almost violent high. And I'm not sure how, how did it get its name. I have my reason on how it got his name. Oh, uh, right, right. You, 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 smoking with some friends. They. Uh, one commented that like, damn, it's like such a clear high and such an up uh, cerebral high. It makes me feel smart. And so I said, well, maybe we should call it genius, you know, because it makes you feel like a genius. <laughs> well, the funny thing is I, I, I perceived it completely opposite is this. Huh. Who left the door open, genius? Mm, uh, right. <laughs> who let, who let the dog out, it, genius? I could see where it would. What do. genius left the food on the counter for the dog? <laughs> Dumbass, right? <laughs> Man, because it, wow, I have seen it get people higher and like just psychedelic yeah, out yeah, there. Yeah, it's that up cerebral high right. for sure. I mean, I always liked uh, Hayes as a uh, pure oh, yeah. land race or, you know, it's not, an, not a land race, but you know what I'm saying? Very stable, 
pure strain. And Hayes, I was introduced to in an, not Amsterdam, but a, in a Holland, a Dutch coffee shop in Breda, actually. It's on the southern border where you cross over from Belgium. Just happened to be very convenient for me because living in Brussels, I was shooting up in the train. And if I didn't want to take as much time and go all the way to Amsterdam, hey, you know, if you're just scoring weed, you can cross the border in the first town, Breda, you know, and you walk through the town. There was a little coffee shop called the um, Purple Rain. Purple Rain. Uh, yeah, baby. We miss uh, the artist formerly known as Prince. <laughs> Absolutely. And he I sat myself down there, asked about the weed. Guy pointed to a little cabin at the back of the bar. I go down there and got some weed, went back up to the bar and sat down. The bartender asked me, you know, okay, what, what'd you end up with? You know, start a conversation, getting friendly. And uh, I showed him and I said, um, but what about like, you know, the real good stuff? You know, is there anything that this guy in the back, you know, I, that I should know about uh, beyond that? And he's like, do you like uh, sativa? You know, like the real racy up high i was like yeah i prefer that actually i don't like the indica so much and, he, and he's like oh here pulls this bag out from behind the counter looked like leafy twiggy crappy weed you know and but it was really sparkly and you know, full of resin and so i said yeah let me try that and i uh, roll a joint of it and i mean i got two hits into this joint and I, i'm like holy fuck i'm <laughs> tripping off oh this yeah stuff crazy good and the flavor too so i say to the guy how much of this do you have he says just that bag it was like an ounce and i said um, i'll take the whole thing off your hands like how much do you want for that just hold it to me i brought it <laughs> the weed that i mean it reeked so bad you, the only thing that would stop the smell is if you put it in something that was like a mylar container. You know, I had these little cylindrical canisters. So just some unknown town yeah, in, the in the border the, between right. So Netherlands that's and how Belgium. I found Hayes for the first time and realized that I had a love affair with that type of high and that flavor. You think that was a out of the aroma. time a Neville's. No, 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 no. This is Hayes Brothers original. Hayes Brothers Somebody original. in the south of uh, Holland was probably just a local grower who was supplying this little shop, and he had the real original cut, you know, of the real Hayes. And I'd love to find that guy today and you know get that cut from him. But um, I never smoked anything that was purported to be Hayes that was as good as uh, or as authentic as that ever again. That was it. Last time, first time, last time. Right, but. What I have seen is some great haze influences in other strains. And, um, you know, the one that we had um, recently started working with, Super Silver Haze, crossed to a Cinderella 99. And I took advantage of the fact that after over a dozen years of being out of the um, business, um, people working with our genetics over the years and saving exceptional clones of Cinderella 99 or any of the other cultivars that came from my time in the business um, were interesting to me. And, you know, the community is a very generous community and it's, and it's a very loving community. And there were many individuals that reached out to me as soon as I made it clear, um, uh, announcing myself on Instagram that um, Brothers Graham is back. Uh, Mr. Soul's going to reopen and start breeding. And, you know, sometime in the spring, I'm announcing this like around oh, this yeah. time last year. Oh, yeah. August, I You've think. You've got some fans out there. They, they all called me and asked. They're like, hey, I heard, I heard Mr. Soul's back in production in Colorado. Do you know him? Do you know how to get in touch with him? Can you <laughs> give me seeds? That's <laughs> <laughs> wow. all. It's always very flattering, and, and it's gratifying when I look at the you know the write-ups oh, yeah. and, and the, the things that people have You're said. You're the only the guest that, when I've mentioned it to my friends that they were coming on, 
that I've had questions or excitement over it. Oh, wow. Right. Everybody else. I'm sorry for your show. <laughs> Jesus, I, the most oh, exciting thing. Oh, I have a series. <laughs> I have a series of guest questions that we'll get into oh, yeah, a little later. By all but, means. but uh, so yeah, you're you're. Where was I? Where where are we? We're back in at Brothers Grimm. We've. What are, we, we no, just, I don't know. I think I was... Did we genius? See, that's about, what I'm saying. Yeah, how did we get Oh, genius? what genius what? kept track of right. this show. So you do tend to yeah, <laughs> go off on tangents and lose track of what, what you I believe you were just... Had, you'd mostly just come back from Europe, mm -hmm. uh, and you had planned on oh, starting to grow Oh, I was going to tell you how weed. I found the seeds, yeah. There we go. Here we go. So, the Cinderella story. The it's Cinderella basically story. that before leaving to go move back to the States with my new Belgian wife, uh, I told her, you know, look, let's go up to Amsterdam. We'll buy some seeds so that when I do my little hobby, uh, I'll have good stuff to start with because, you know, you can make a great environment, but you can't make a, an environment great enough to take inferior seeds and make them into a, a superior product. So, you know, starting off with the great, the, the best possible genetics is the best bang for your buck that you can possibly make in the game. I mean, you know, if you're going to grow cannabis, you can spend money on light bulbs and different things, you know. Genetics, but genetics, genetics. You cannot ever make that environment better than the weak link, which is what the genetics you started with. So I knew enough to go and seek out who was a good seed bank at that time was um, Sensi Seed. And right there on one of the canals in uh, the red light district, they had a storefront and you could walk in, talk to people, see plants. You know, I think, wow, this is great. You know, I'll talk to them, get some advice, tell them the kinds of things I like and buy some seeds. So that's what I did. And then on the way out of there, you know, about a block down, they had a coffee shop that was called Sensi Smile. I think they were related to Sensi, the seed bank. Otherwise, mm -hmm. they probably wouldn't let them use that name if they weren't. So I'm, I'm assuming that they're related. And I walk in and uh, order a coffee and some juice. And, uh, 1996? 1996. 1996. Sort of, yeah. 1996, mm -hmm. about halfway through the year. And I ordered my drinks, sat down. Or, uh, I also ordered a um, Jack Bud. Because I had gotten Jack Harris seeds, they were one of the strains that I thought, like, well, this is something that, you know, I'm really... God bless his soul. Right. Jack Harris, great guy, you know, and, and the strain that they named after him is such an exceptional... Brought me into cannabis to some degree. It's an exceptional strain. I love the flavor. I love the high you get from it. It's a super classy... The aroma, when you get a, the right aroma, the, the true Jack Harris aroma... I would like to have that made into a men's cologne that I would wear, you know, when I'm going out on a, for an evening because this is oh, how classy and, oh, and how subtle and yeah, it's a, it's just um, sandalwood incensey uh, with a musk undertone, uh, you know, just with these notes of citrus. It's just a gorgeous uh, aroma, and the and the flavor basically falls right in line with what it smells like too. So. Yeah, I was I always it. a big Jack Harrow fan, and um, so I wanted to smoke a bud of it, and so I did. And as I'm breaking up the bud into a little tray and getting ready to roll a joint, about a half a dozen seeds fall out of this bud, which, you know, it's not even supposed to be seeded. I'm, I'm buying Sensamia in, in a coffee right. shop. But you know better than to be pissy. Oh, why would I be pissy about yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, right, right. I, well, I, I other said, people may. I'll tell you what, you know, hey, I'll bring these seeds back, and um, what we'll do is... Uh, this will be sort of seeds that I can just see what happens with. And that adds to the ones that I just bought, you know, legitimate seeds that are supposed to be you know, in a pack and this is the strain you're buying and so on. Well, uh, you know, to fast forward a little bit after about six months of growing in my new place in Boston, 
turned out that these ones that fell out of the bud were looking like a much better plant than the ones that came from the seeds, mm -hmm. the packs I had bought. And so I paid close attention to what they were, were doing. Did you get females and I males? I got three females and a couple of males, which I didn't keep. Regret that now, obvious, but you know, you can't look back and know what the yeah, hell that's how was that going goes, on man. at the time. But, you uh, found a great I, clone, you know, six months after you threw the males away. <laughs> <laughs> well, the three, the three females were great. Genius and Princess were two of them, and Cafe Girl was the third one, which I did use for a while, but I, I ended up saying, you know, I'd rather call that one in favor of just working and concentrating on these two. Yeah. Selection. Yeah, hard to probably imagine for when you think of the, the environment that's out there right now with breeding and uh, they tend to want to just have a million things all mixing together. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm obviously from the school of, you know, an analytical engineering type who knows that varying more than one variable at a time makes it such that the results are inconclusive. So I'm varying things very little and I want to like narrow that scope rather than make it more confusing and wider. If you follow what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when you do an experiment, you can't say, well, Last time it, we had X, Y, Z things going on, and this time it's X, B, C, because now you've changed two things, and you don't know which one of them will have created the result that you're going to observe. You know, you, you go from X, Y, Z, and you try X, Y, X or something, where you're only changing one thing. So anyway, that's what I ended up doing. Called, called it down to those two best females, and even though they're sisters, I mean, they came out of the same bud, there are some very... Uh, distinct phenotypical differences um, in them in both, you know, the drug qualities of the um, clone as well as the growing phenotype, uh, physical vigorousness of the plant and shape of the plant and so on. Even though they had the same mother, obviously, and the same father, they're very different. That is a key to understanding breeding and knowing that when you see a cross advertised in a magazine that's two polyhybrids, the guy who did that is either just, you know, throwing, uh, you know, stuff against the wall and hoping something will stick or, you know, he's, if he were really genuine about what he's offering, he'd say, hey, this is like, who knows what's going to come out of this, guys, you know, and uh, for that reason, I'm going to sell it real cheap and good luck with your pheno hunt. And there are guys out there who like uh, the pheno hunt. I don't know why. I mean, the, okay, I got a it's dozen, hunt. two dozen seeds. I, I'd really like to see if I get a special female yeah, out of this and who seeds. knows what it's going to be. It's gambling. But if you can, on the other hand, me personally, I'd prefer, since I do this as you know a way of making a living and it's a business, and sure, I assume right, yeah. that that's what many people who are investing money in purchasing seeds and all the time and energy that takes to do a grow, that, you know, the profit from having the best po possible result uh, is important to them so and you know a lot of people just buy seeds and collect them have yeah, you seen this like they're baseball cards well i them. hope they're storing them in a freezer because and if they're in their sock drawer you know 10 or 15 years from now they're, they're going to be useless gonna, yeah unfortunately i don't know if that really happens then like the little that. disclaimer will really be true that they're for novelty purposes mm -hmm. only. <laughs> absolutely yeah. So, um, yeah, I forget, um, again, we're, we're drifting off of where we were there, but, um, yeah, I, so I got the two some, great, yeah, the, great, two seats. great, uh, clones, uh, princess and genius. And I ended up, um, you know, just sort of, um, 
drifting away from and calling almost anything else out so that I could start working on um, making You had a breeding in mind at this point? Well, right. what had occurred to from me... From the beginning? Yeah, here, let from me let me uh, expand on that and articulate exactly what was going on. What happened was mm. seeing that I had these two great females, what do you do with them? In future, I guess I sort of fast forwarded to what if I ever had to move in, you know, long distance or something. I didn't think about saving the clone. I wanted to have the ability to make seeds that would also give me great plants like that. So I realized that this uh, cubing process I had read about once um, of backcrossing the male progeny to the same female over and over would lock in the traits of that cubing. female, yep. you, you yeah. cubing the clone. Yeah. Right. Hey, hey, it was actually a, like a cheesy article in High Times a long, long, long time ago that described it in some rough way. And I just refined the ideas into, okay, scientifically, what can I take out of this that I know is true and will be, you know, uh, an experimental, uh, a repeatable experimental right. result and working from that. And I came up with by the correct selection of the males in each generation, you can get that done. Absolutely. <clears throat> hey, I, I, I want to explain cubing exactly and what that is, but uh, hey, let's take a short break right oh, now. Oh, by all means. Yeah, Chip Baker, Real Dirt. Chip Baker, Mr. Soul. It's only rock and roll, but I love it. We had to take a little break there. Mm-hmm. A little uh, technical difficulty, some uh, pizza maybe. Absolutely. There were um, energy needs to be uh, seen too, both uh, human and electronic. So we saw to those and we're back we're, on the air. We're back. Yeah, we also Kicking it a, around. A, a genius joint. Ooh, put wow. me in a good mood. That uh, that mood. put me in a good mood. I, I was stuttering. I was so stoned, so we <laughs> had to make some fairly strong coffee to come back. Yes, strong coffee for strong men. Yes, mm-hmm. I recommend it. Yeah, so you know, we talked. We were about just uh, getting into cubing, I believe. Yes. And like I, I was well, going to ask it you, led like, up to cubing because we were talking about coming back from Europe, and I got right. started in my uh, Boston location. And during that time, discovered Princess and Genius, and wanted to be able to create seed lines from them that then people, myself included, would be able to um, replicate very similar plants, if not identical types of plants. So. 
I had read about the cubing from some cheesy article in High Times that uh, then I kind of extrapolated the ideas into something that would work and used that <laughs> over the course. <laughs> High of, Times is good for something, that's for sure. Hey, let me hit that whole theory real quick so that, you know, as we move on, people aren't going to sit there and go like, yeah, I wish he would have said, what, what is cubing exactly? You know, before then, you know, yeah, he, he yeah, takes it to its logical conclusion. But um, Let's do it. So the idea being, I try to make it in really simple terms so people don't have to understand breeding or anything. I put it in um, just uh, layman terms. You know, you and I are Americans. Most likely, uh, you know, you have some European descent. I know in my case, it's Italian on one side and uh, German and French and Dutch on the other. I was so, Scottish. Scottish, my people. Scottish. You got some Scottish in, in you, do you? <laughs> hey, you can't pass a, a year in Scotland. <laughs> without picking up a thing or two. Anyhow, the mixing of genes when, you know, a mother and a father come together, it's a 50-50 thing. You know, you're getting half your genes from your mother, half your genes from your father. And uh, I brought up the, the fact that, you know, Americans tend to be sort of a mixing pool. And that, that gives you the example of, well, what happens when you mix, you know, some things that are stable, like stable strains, like an Italian strain in a, or a French strain, you know. Like right. if you think about our, our predecessors back in the old countries, they, they had a sort of a stable mm -hmm. uh, phenotype, which is what we call, you know, a plant's uh, physical characteristics when you're looking at it and including everything up to the high and uh, the, the taste that it gives. Geographically isolated gene pool. Yes, exactly. So from uh, non-communication between such regions over long periods of time, uh, typical phenotypes were established in each of those areas, not mixed. And then hybrids are a mix of any of those two stable strains together, and that creates an F1 generation of hybrid. At that point, if you have two very stable strains coming together, you get what I could kind of describe loosely as a blender effect, like you're throwing the two of them into a blender and you're going to get something that will be a combination of the two. Um, and in each of the categories of which trait that you're looking for, it may be from either the father's side or the mother's side, but probably one of those or the other. And then a certain percentage of the progeny will also be sort of a mixture where it's like a kind of a combination of those two things from the mother and father. That's pretty easy to predict and seems very logical. And what happens today is that um, many strains are combinations of polyhybrids, which are, you know, something that is not a stable strain crossed to something else that is not a stable strain. And there's a lot of variation in the genes that could contribute to any of the very important traits, you know, the five or six important traits being like your high flavor resin production, um, the vigorous uh, nature of the plant while growing, and, you know, some of those other physical characteristics. But mostly it's the amount of resin it produces and how high it gets you and, you know, is the yield good and how, what's the flowering time, those types of things. So you maybe have a basket of 10 or less traits that you really want to lock down and say, I want the best of all worlds or I want something that has, you know, accentuates some of those traits over others because they're the ones that are more important to me as I go through a breeding project. Well, <clears throat> when you're trying to combine these 
sort of Americans. <laughs> you know, say you get a girl from Rochester, New York, and a and a guy from uh, Tampa, Florida, and they have kids. It's anybody's guess. You know, with those kids, there's a lot of variation. If you notice among American kids, you will not find. You know, if some uh, woman from Genoa and a man from uh, Genoa, you know, Italy uh, have kids, they're going to look a lot like the rest of the kids in town. You know what I mean? So that's the analogy that I'd like people to have in their minds, you know, when you're, you don't have to know all about ratios and genes, com combinations and chromosomes and X's and Y's. Let's forget all that and put it to the side for the moment. Let's just all be guys on the street talking to one another and think of it this way. Look, if you're getting seeds that are coming from, you know, two American parents, then it's going to be a crapshoot what comes out of those. So if you're buying a pack of seeds and there's a picture of the, of the female that you should get as a result from that pack of seeds, and you know that the parents are both polyhybrids, it's about a, you know, maybe one in a hundred shot that of those 10 seeds in that pack, you're going to, out of the five females you probably will get, one of them is going to look like the picture on the pack. You know, it's just not going to be that reliable. Whereas if you have stable strains, you're buying something like, in my case, uh, the one that I'm most known for is obviously I bred Cinderella 99 to be a, a stable strain that when you grow out 10 seeds, you're going to get 10 plants that look like clones of each other essentially and have most of the same traits uh, with very little variation from one to another. When I say that, um, for example, the taste could be, I'm saying it's a tropical fruity flavor, you know, and you can say, well, that could mean mango or pineapple, and you're going to get one or both right. or sometimes yeah. combinations of those. And so that's what I mean by a stable result that you can always count on. Well, see, I grow my 10... Uh, it's predictable. Yeah, it's predi predictable. Pre predictability. Right. So that that's a, that's is That's a big issue people don't understand is predictability versus stable. Like I can predict that you're going to get these traits that come off these plants, mm -hmm. right? And and they might all look a little differently like a branchy or, you know, or monocola, right? But you can predict it. So yeah. that means it's stable. Oh, yeah, exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, I guess that's in my mind a lot lately as I roll out Brothers Grimm since uh, this past uh, April 20th. And, you know, people ask questions and I answer them. And I also <laughs> see what's out there on the market and, you know, I kind of think to myself, it's apparent to me that the seed buying public is is thinking in a, a simplistic way um, that's not doing them a good service because they think, like we talked about mixing an Italian uh, male uh, with, say, an English female or something, and the, the differences in those two uh, isolated gene pools would then give a predictable result that would either be you know, the traits would mirror the father's side or the mother's side, or then there'd be a certain mm -hmm. group among them uh, statistically that would be a blend. Um, it becomes so much less predictable when you're talking about these mixtures of two, right. two different polyhybrids. polyhybrids coming together. Right, with, with a, a diverse lineage. Right, and that's exactly the kind of thing that I am known to avoid in my own breeding, and people know that the Brothers Grimm strains are going to give predict predictable results. You see a picture on the pack of what the end result female should look like and the phenotypes that you get out of those seeds are going to look like that, you know, and, and you'll get right. a high percentage of that. When people are out there buying seeds right now, it just seems to me as I see the comments and I don't really, I'm kind of lurking and watching people talking on Facebook or Instagram or what have you and uh, observing that, you know, they have these misconceptions like they think, 
Every time I take a male and a female from two different strains, I'm going to be throwing it in a blender and out comes this sort of homogeneous mix of the two. And it just doesn't work that way. And um, I often see the um, term pheno hunt being thrown around like it's a badge of honor or something like, oh, yeah, dudes, I'm over here, you know, vigorously I'm on the, I'm on the, I'm on the hunt. Yeah, like, you, I'm okay. cracking seeds, Jeez, looking you know, for the one. <laughs> one of those adventure heroes. Uh, what was that guy? Uh, Ford played uh, <laughs> the uh, actor. Anyway. Uh, Raiders of the Lost yeah, Ark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff. Yeah, Indiana so Jones. They're, they're on their pheno hunt. Yeah. And I say, where, where's the Indiana honor? Indiana weed. Where's the honor in that? I mean, uh, what, what exactly are you trying to do? I'm, I'm, I'm usually concerned with working a strain in a particular direction with certain, you know, well-established goals and varying only a variable at a time so that I can tell what the effect of that change did and then how to predict the next thing. So I guess... I'm rambling uh, as <laughs> usual because these are the things that right. cross no, my no, mind no. Uh, so, at the moment. Uh, so let's and, and let's get a, a lot of let's get a clear, clear picture of the cubing. Oh yeah, let's go back. Um, a, a clear like ninety second. This is how it works. Good job, Chip. You caught me. Um, where I went <laughs> off on a tangent was I was about to say when you're when you're taking uh, the cubing root. Here's what's happening. You're taking fifty percent of your genes from your mother and fifty percent from your father. So if we don't vary the mother and in you know keep the clone right in cannabis that means you're keeping a mother clone always growing in the vegetative state and whenever you breed with her you are breeding with a branch that has been cut from the mother and rooted and now becomes a clone of the mother put that in a flowering room and let it be pollinated by whichever male is uh, you know indicated at that moment to be the correct one to do and that starts off with you need a male to start with so I chose an unrelated male. Why? Why wouldn't I choose like her brother or something that would keep it so much closer? Here's why. I am trying to breed away from the influence of the male because I'm trying to favor that this clone is trying sure. to be replicated in the seed line that's, that's coming from this project, okay? So by using a male that was dissimilar enough from Princess, the female, so that I'd see it You'd see the hybrid. Yeah. You'd see, see the father's side yeah, and you'd bingo. see the mother's side. Bingo. Totally. So I cross her with a Shiva skunk male and then the progeny I called P50. In, a, in other words- 50% of princess. Right. So C- crossed with the Shiva skunk male right. into into the clone. Yes. So now you've got princess crossed with a Shiva skunk male. That creates the generation I called P50. So you grow them out, look at the males that are coming from that generation and look for the ones that have traits that mimic the princess and rather than the father side. Okay. So using those males, pick the one that looks the best in terms of, you know, the other traits that you can lock down and say, well, it's a male trait. Uh, it's shared by males and females, for example, vigor, height, uh, flowering time, those types of things. So by looking at the males and evaluating all of those things, I'd say, okay, here's the male I like. And now I cross that back to another clone from that original bush, you know, that's original, sitting in the vegetative original clone. room, right? Yeah. Right, original clone. So Princess is now getting crossed to what is effectively her son. And so now the progeny from that, he's bringing his 50% of P- Princess into the equation, contributing mm-hmm. half of that. In other words, 25%. She's always giving 50% every time she's crossed. Absolutely. So now you're at P75. 
And if everybody is, you know, carrying along with the conversation, they're going to see that, oh, okay, so the first cross, you know, it's half the mother. Now the second time, it's three quarters of the mother's genes in this next generation, right? Right. So now you take one of those males following a similar principle as I just described, pick the best one, cross it back to the princess again. She contributes her 50%. Now he's contributing 37.5% and you're getting a, essentially what I call P88. So it's 88% of the mother gene. One more time gets you to um, 94% and then the next time is 97%, which to my mind was close enough to being 100%. So I got to where I had a generation of, of P94 that I could then select males at any time, cross back to that clone and create a brand new batch of the Cinderella 99 which is what I did last year when I came to Colorado and opened uh, the doors again. You know, in this environment, I felt I'm finally comfortable to uh, step out of the shadows and be Mr. Soul and, you know, take my place in the cannabis community that uh, I walked away from in 2002, uh, regrettably, because, uh, you know, I felt insecure at the time and lifestyle changes and such that happened between then and now. Um, were you know sort of a wonderful journey and a path that I feel like I'm coming to a full uh, actualization of myself here, and and so it's just a great time. Um, I'm feeling really good about bringing Brothers Grimm back and letting everyone push that reset button and uh, eliminate all the years of people copying and trying to recreate something that you know was no longer in existence and. Uh, give them that original article back and then pick up where I left off because I certainly had a lot of really interesting projects in mind and uh, some many ideas that I never got to work out. And with my new partner, um, Duke Diamond, we're able to really roll up our sleeves and do some amazing fun projects that people are already starting to get a whiff of. And, uh, and um, there's a buzz starting that I'm really proud of. So no, yeah, absolutely. take it from there. Absolutely, definitely. You really kind of skipped over like a significant portion of your Good. story. Glad though. you picked that out because right. I missed it. <laughs> I assumed well, too much. You went lot. you went from the breeding of it, yeah. right? And you, you've got now you've got your seeds, your C ninety nine, and then uh, all the way to uh, now we're back. Yeah. To, how did I how uh, did I leave? Uh, well, you know, more more I well, I just like to touch on this a little bit was mm-hmm. man, you became a phenomenon quickly. Like your your seeds proved out uh through uh Richard, he was he was selling them. What was his seed company called um, at the time? Heaven Stairway. Heaven Stairway, and they had the support of the growers growers world. Right. Yeah. Right or, or, on, or on, overgrow, uh, overgrow overgrow community. Overgrow community. And you were one of the first seeds that really used that digital marketing platform. And it was kind of an underground digital marketing platform. We didn't, we didn't even call it that. There weren't even those words for it back then. Of course not. No. Right. But you had, that was the cannabis community, social media presence. Absolutely. Right. And and not, and not that we knew it at the time. Not that we knew it at the time. No. There was a, somebody made a, a quote recently that I was like, oh yeah, that's true. When you're making history, you never know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Nobody, nobody who's making history realizes it yeah. while they're doing it. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned uh, the 77. That was a, a private internet group of a handful of people. And exactly. Overgrow kind of came came out of that, I believe, but well, for yeah. public. In a sense, right? it was a much bigger and much flashier um, advanced platform that did a, a similar thing for a bigger audience um, and 
compared to what the 77 was, which was kind of like really elitist, uh, hand-selected group of guys. We were all, uh, you know, mutual of, mutual admiration. Friend of a friend. Yeah. yeah, and right. you had to be invited by, you know, somebody, this guy's really like, he's got yeah. to be one of us, you know, or something. And that's how it progressed. But then, yeah, to segue into what you're saying is that uh, Overgrow became kind of a publicly um, accessible platform that mm -hmm. gave similar kind of camaraderie and ability to share those things and have a, a social media type platform way back in the mid 90s right or, or and, toward the end and of the 90s the seed sales kind of came through that, that website yeah. advertising right there he i was, didn't really pay attention to that as it was happening but you, you, know, well, you didn't realize it right because mm -hmm. it was such a pioneering effort that you could have this content marketing strategy of 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 uh the, the people making the product, supporting it through these these blogs or these interactive boards. It was right? word of mouth, man. Yeah. You know, and a, <laughs> a lot of people in advertising will tell you, you can't buy word of mouth advertising. And that's the most sincere for the, the consumer, you know. Organic. He, yeah. I mean, the right. consumer can look at, well, word of mouth is typically the most reliable. Well, well of course, the company themselves isn't going to hire an advertising company that makes them look like shit. Uh, and usually the people who are the most dissatisfied satisfied are the ones with the biggest voices. So if you're listening to the crowd and getting the consensus uh, on the street, what's the, what's the word of mouth kind of buzz about this company, and you're not hearing anything bad, that says a lot right there, because usually mm -hmm. it's the ones that, you know, the, a few few bad eggs will say, you know, start screaming. Right. And if you don't even find that, then you know you got somebody who's, geez, that's a solid, they got a great reputation. And that's what ended up happening with, with us. I mean, uh, right. we talked earlier about show business. You know, you step away for six months, even three months, you know, if you're a singer or some sort of uh, yeah. an act, you know. Uh, and you're out of business. They forget about, you know, your name is kind of gone. And so when I left for over a dozen years and came back and found that, you know, the buzz about Cinderella 99 and Brothers Grimm was still very strong and held up over those years, it was very gratifying, flattering and uh, made me feel proud and want to allow people to have even more. You know, if you think that's good, wait, let me just get back in the game. Uh, let, I'll show you what I would have done, you know, if I had stayed in and uh, bring you back the old Cinderella 99 uh, seeds so that you can grow them. You know, there's a whole generation of kids out there that are like, oh, man, I, I smoked that in college and you didn't realize that there's no way to get it and stuff. But, you know, it was a little, my whole introduction to marijuana, you know. <laughs> Very, you know, touching little stories that the people email me and stuff. So, oh yeah, you were absolutely a pioneer it. in I'm the industry back then, and uh, th there was there was a handful of people that were on that overgrow site as uh, with support groups. I believe that what they call it. And those brothers Grimm, Mister Nice. Uh, I can't. I can't. I, I, I liked. The other yeah, people. I liked to sort of put out my stuff, and uh, I'm, you know, a photographer. I became a professional right. photographer later on, but uh, during that time, I was still doing photography to some degree, and putting my pictures up of what I was doing was something that. Up until that time, remember, you know, nobody had that uh, today, what we take for granted, mm -hmm. this ability to put something on YouTube or, or post a pic, you know, like we, we yeah, do right. that it's so you know, easy. on the fly. Almost so easy now with yeah. your camera. 
I mean, your right. phone, right? You're, you're driving along, a, you know, shotgun in a car with somebody. And, you know, meanwhile, while you're talking, you've got a conversation going on with three other people in social media and you're texting and mm -hmm. sending pics and stuff. <laughs> it's <laughs> like the idea that you could even be doing that back in the day, you know, 96 or 8, uh, that you had a device in your pocket the size of a pack of playing cards and you could communicate with anybody all around the globe by either voice or uh, textual methods and send pictures and, and video clips and sound. I mean, blow your mind. We wouldn't have believed right. it if you Absolutely. told us that. that Absolutely. Man, you know? But here we Dick are. Dick Tracy right here. here we are. Star Trek. I, yeah, totally. I'm raising my forgot. phone. What did they call the, the communicator when they, yeah, they put right. somebody down and beat me down, <laughs> give me back up and they tapped on those things on their chest. What the hell were they called? Anyway. Well, they had the tricorders. That's, that's what I was referring oh, the to. That, too. You know, that was the little tool they would always wave oh, around. If you like, have the right <laughs> app on your phone, that then, it, then it's a tricorder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. Awesome. Well, hey, man, let's let's take a break right there. Okay, cool. Real Dirt. Yeah. Chip go. Baker. Rehydrated. Mr. Soul. Chip Baker, Mr. Soul, and we're talking breeding, cannabis history, and uh, other weeds. Brother Grim seed stuff. Let's we're let's, talking about some specifics. You were uh, breeding. Let's talk. Let's get back into the breeding, man. I, I know there's so much stuff to speak here, but totally. we were talking some breeding techniques, and there's something I'd like your uh, your explanation or, or opinion on. Um, uh, a self-generation to produce all female seeds yes. uh, versus uh, F1 type generations, which right. are... Well, <clears throat> traditionally, the F letters, I think it's, it's best that we start there because that's what's traditionally been the breeding technique over centuries of humans cultivating plants. And F stands for filial, which essentially means brothers and sisters or, you know, of a family. Hey, brothers hey, and now. sisters. <laughs> yeah, man. So anyway, that's what the F stands for. And one, two, three, and so on means continual generations that were bred from the previous number. So in other words, to get two, you bred a you bred a mother, a brother and a sister from the one, then you get two. If you breed the two to each other, then you get the three. If you get breed the threes together, you get the four. And this was happening by necessity. Um, when you think about it, we didn't have indoor lighting. We didn't have a way of advancing a generation in less than a year. We went by what the sun did for us. So every year you would, by necessity, the seeds that were being grown in any given year were the cross of a male and female, which were brother and sister from the generation from the year before. So each year you're getting an F plus one number every year. So that's done in nature 
or in large crops like in the days when people didn't have a lot of control over it, random crossings of the males and females from each season create the seeds for the next season. We became cognizant of the ability to selectively breed and block certain males and only breed some males with some females and then perhaps uh, lock in traits uh, each time uh, in the next generation and so on. And that's where man began ma manipulating and it's the beginning of GMO, which everybody hates the idea and the word and the phrase. But if you were taking it for its really literal meaning, it's genetically modified organism. Well, right. every time you breed selectively, you are genetically modifying that result, right? right. Are, are we not? Not in a sinister way, the way that people think of GMOs in their foods, which I don't know whether there is a distinction between the two. I don't think there is necessarily. So they may all just be the same thing as just hy creating hybrids and, uh, and selectively right. breeding for- It's kind of like the term organic. Everyone has their own version of what that, that means. means. Yeah. So anyway, let me stay on track because uh, it's a difficult thing to do. Keep me, keep yeah, me S, from going a, a, off on a I tangent. I know, all that genius we've had today, <clears throat> it's keeping us going there. It's uh, my nature. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get it done, you know, in a circuitous way, but I get it done. The um, F1, obviously, um, maybe it's not so obvious. We were talking earlier about how uh, stable strains and land races and isolated gene pools and such created... Um, predictable phenotypes, we use the examples of like the different nationalities in Italian versus an Englishman or, you know, American and so on being a mixture of those. So an F1 generation is any cross between two stable, dissimilar strains. So if we took Afghani uh, and Thai, let's say, for example, they're two dissimilar land race strains and cross them to get an Afghan Thai, it's generation number F1. You though that bunch of seeds, and if you took those same male and female and crossed them again, be an identical set of seeds, but you know they'd always be F one. That never changes. That's that defines who the parents were. Now, the result of the F one generation in general, in breeding terms, is a very homogeneous sort of a blending effect of the two, and you get as we discussed earlier, the male or female <clears throat> influence in many of the males and females that come out of the, that generation. And so it, it is kind of as much like a blender effect as you can get in breeding is that F1 generation. Now, remember that um, those two parents have brought in all these different genes and for one, uh, for, for some very logical reasons that I won't go into because of the technical nature of it, and I wanted to keep this all layman, but um, they are stacked in such a way in the F1 generation that only the dominant traits from either side are expressing themselves. Mm -hmm. Now, that means that it's a very predictable result all across the board. But if you were to take the males and females, the brothers and sisters of the F1 generation and cross them together, you're going to get what we call the F2 generation. And that's when the stacking is reordered in each of the resulting seeds that comes from the female that's been crossed by her brother in the F1 generation to create the F2. So instead of it just being a choice of a like, like a toggle switch, it's just A or B, sorry, for each gene, boom, 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 it's going to be one or the other. This now becomes almost like half the alphabet. You know, now you have 13 different combinations for every one of those things that used to just be an A, B selection. 
And that's where you start to see like, oh my goodness, who would have thought, you know, uh, in America, like we have the uh, mother and father have, have kids and neither of them has red hair. And, you know, they get, they get a kid who's freckles and red hair. Like you wouldn't believe it. Like, oh, well, you know, come to think of it, your great, grandfather great had right, nothing right. but red hair. And that came out finally, you know, because it shook out of that uh, lottery bin, you know, of numbers that's being yeah. jumbled around and resorted each time that a new seed is being created by each generation. So that's where all of this variability comes from. And I also see sometimes we were earlier talking about how there's a misconception in the seed buying public that they talk on forums and so on. And it's almost like a badge of honor. You know, the one guy will say, I've got the F5 generation of that. Oh man, that's wicked awesome. You know, I only had the F3s myself. Like, it's not like, uh, you know, the stars in, in the military that they give a general to put on his shoulder. The more of them that you have, you know, the higher that number is that this is somehow a better generation. That would only be true if each time a new generation is being created, the selected male and female to create the seeds for that next generation were very intelligently chosen to improve upon what it was in that last generation. If that's not happening, you could you could be going in the opposite direction. You could say everything from the F1 generation onward sucked and got worse, you know, because yeah, right. these guys didn't right. put them together right. That is no guarantee that number means nothing. Right. Only means something if somebody can explain how they got there and what the choices were in each generation right. that they chose and how they felt, okay, I locked down that trait, now I moved on and I'm locking down the next trait. And, and it's successful because I'm growing out enough of them that I've seen this large population and these are the traits and this is really happening and I can show it in a repeatable scientific way. You know, Absolutely. That's how it's done. So right. the number means nothing, and and the chances of people doing that correctly nothing. out of the you know out of the group of people who are putting out seeds the right gamble in, in the world right, right now nose for it. You'd have to say, okay, there's like a handful of the really classy outfits that are out there that have a reputation for being a big, solid operation that does it right, and of them, you know, then you have your choices, and then. Going back to the S one, you see that term used like in, in the place of the F, where we talked about it, that meaning filial. Right. S means stands for self. This is a bro science term, right? I don't know. <laughs> it, it is and it isn't. It, I believe that in actual botany and oh, genetics, self. there is an S. Uh, you know, I, I'm 99.9% .9 sure that that's true. That they do use that terminology in botany and breeding. S meaning a selved plant. Mm -hmm. Because remember, not all plants are like marijuana where there's a male and a female. Many uh, flowers out there have both the male and the female parts on the same organism and, right. and actually self-pollinate and make uh, the next generation in that fashion. But what we've done way back when I came into the scene in the mid-90s, there was a big wave of hermaphrodism problems in Canada and in the United States people passing seeds around and, you know, the seeds are growing up into Hermes at a much higher rate than you would expect. And to me, that was odd because remember, I had all those years of working with SSSC and they had really stable strains and they were also quite, you know, locked. They were thinking about it. Yeah, they were, they were not given to Hermes. They just weren't, you know, I never even thought about it because it just never happened. And then I started reading about all these guys saying, oh yeah, but that one Hermes and blah, blah, I'm like, and then as I watched and sort of lurked over the situation for a while, I realized, oh, <clears throat> there's a connection between these guys complaining about these Hermes seeds and this um, 
technique that all the breeders are using where they're getting fancy and going like, oh, we're making feminized seeds. It's incredible. Here's what you do. You you induce the female to grow male flowers, and then the pollen from those male flowers, obviously it was a female, so it doesn't have a Y uh, chromosome to contribute. It's all going to no be Ys. Xs, so you're always going to get females, right? All female. So, but the, the generation of seeds that are thus created are, give, are, are prone to herm, hermaphrodism because right. that's how they were created in the first place, remember, right? They made this plant become a hermy. They're gonna hermaphrodite. Right, and then point. they use the pollen sure. that results from that to create the next generation. Now, I would need to call upon several uh, journal uh, entries uh, and scientific papers that have been written where it's been proven that that process results in hermaphrodites. You know, we can just say uh, but it's, sour diesel, gorilla glue, chem dog, all of those plants have, have hermaphrodism in them. Right. All were created by some form of selving to get there. And now <clears throat> that's what the S stands for, selved. So S1, you know, it really the number shouldn't go up from there because the next generation, right. I mean, what are you going to do? You can call it like sel right, selving right. back to itself again. You know, okay, we did it again. Uh, okay. Uh, so we, you guys don't produce feminized seeds? We don't at the moment. Um, we just signed on to do a worldwide international um, seed distribution, um, and they are going to eventually ask us, can we get you guys to work on feminized seeds? And the answer is yes, because the way that we will be creating them is not the way that I just described to you, which is the way right. that, you know, back then these guys uh, in their first foray into that idea did not have it completely together yet. You know, they were, they're missing a, they're missing they're a mostly the accidents, puzzle. You know? No, no, not, not really. They really were like thinking, I'm, I'm really pretty clever here. What I'm doing is I'm re reversing this female. Yeah. I'm making, getting pollen and I'm going to make feminized seeds. And I had no, a couple of good it, right? friends in the 77 who used to like, you know, to fancy themselves, uh, you know, as experts in that whole genre right. of breeding. Okay, you guys do your thing with these uh, feminized seeds. That's not of interest to me. I always eschewed that, you know, and well, I'm like, okay. It's, that, it's it. such a shortcut, you know. <clears throat> but in recent study, because I know there's a demand for it today, and I know that some people are getting um, fairly good results from it. You know, it's not the random yeah. guys who just do it like on a whim. Well, I've had that are getting years of the, it now. There are companies who have gotten it to, okay, this is predictable now that you get the phenotype that is described and you and they are all females and they're true females. They're not Hermes, which 90% of the time, if you just buy feminized seeds off of the internet, you're going to get the kind that will Hermes. And I always say, would you rather go into your crop of flowering plants that you think are all females and find a real male or a, a, what would be harder to find, a real male in that group or a Hermes? The Hermes is really hard to find because it looks like a female until it's too late. And then it's like, oh, fuck, it was a freaking Hermes. If it had been a true male and you knew that this crop only produced true females and true males, it's a hell of a lot easier to just go through there and pull the males. Because, you know, anything that's already shown some pistols, that's definitely a female. It's not going anywhere. It's staying right. female. So I really hate. Hermes and want to stay away from that. I've never gotten into the whole feminized sure. seed thing, but there is a second a step technique. to, exactly. There's, there's a, a second technique. step to after you've created that first uh, self generation of, you know, hypothetically feminized seeds, there is a percentage of the progeny that will be actual feminized without the tendency 
to her and me, you have to find them and then you have to create a second generation using them that will lock down the feminized uh, trait and then all future seeds. You could say, okay, I got it now. This strain is feminized and that's the way we will do it. And I don't know if I've given away the keys to the, you know, how that works. Now there's, there's enough, a handful of there, other people doing enough, that, yeah. you know, just... It just has to be organized, planned. You know, there has to be a little bit of math involved, a little bit of thought involved, and then some time and experiment. Yeah. And like you said, right? the time and the math dictates that there's a need for space. Um, and most of these small breeders, you know, that are claiming to sell a, a feminized seed, obviously they don't have the space to mm -hmm. say that they've done the homework to get that true feminized seed generation yet. Um, whereas the guys in Spain that have these huge uh, grow operations and pe even people here in the States, I mean, let's face it. Yeah, right. There's gonna, some people here doing it. But you need the area. I've got a guy right now in Nevada growing 700 uh, C99 seedlings. All, you know, they just germinated them all at once. Oh, wow. Sweet. Yeah, that's how to get a good selection. That's for sure. Well, we're working with that company because they are one of uh, 25 legal um, licensed uh, providers to the medical marijuana um, dispensaries, and they will soon be supplying the rec uh, dispensaries when that passes in November, which is expected to pass for Nevada. So they have a deal with us where we have signed off that we oversaw the seeds that were, you know, grown there, and I'm, you know, on a consultation basis uh, linked to them, so they can call me to come out there, and I come out about every month. Um, no more than, say, 60 days between visits to see how that's all going. And then uh, I know when they produce our stuff, it's up to our yeah, standard, right. and they can put that right on the packaging, and they license that with us so that nobody else in the state can can do that. So they're, once that catches on, I think the, the way that I like to best describe it, I think, is from the consumer side. You know, if you're walking into a dispensary, wouldn't you like to be able to walk up to the counter and say, Oh, that strain right there is really Cinderella 99 because it comes in a licensed uh, package that says it right on right. it and it's hermetically sealed. And I know that official. this is coming from- C99 official. Yeah, right. You know, yeah. That we were part of uh, the production. Uh, that's such that. a big problem here and, and all over is, is, is it's hard to be an informed consumer. Uh, it takes years to be able to identify strains from sight, um, smell, and, and taste. Uh, and most consumers are, are sold strains that aren't up to the name. You know? How would they know? Too? How would it's they a, know? A That's little what bit I'm of uh, yeah. You you are stuck in a situation where you can walk into a dispensary in San Francisco and say, oh, "I've heard about this strain, uh, Sour Diesel. Could you give me some of that? I'd like to try that and see what it's like." And unfortunately, another guy. You know, you could travel. You know, over the weekend, go up to Seattle and go into another dispensary. And uh, say the same thing, you know, give me some uh, sour diesel, please. And gee, this isn't the same color. It doesn't have the same kind of resin on right. it. It doesn't taste the same, you know, and who, who could you complain to? Right, no I one, mean, right, right. <laughs> it's like, what if your brand, uh, hey, you're a cigarette smoker, diesel. you know, and you smoke Newports or something, and you go to, you know, the local 7-Eleven and uh, the taste of their Newports isn't the same as the ones downtown. I mean, that's what we've got These with marijuana. Newports. <laughs> right? I got it. You know what I'm saying? So imagine the day comes when you can actually compare with your mate um, what you think of a certain strain, you know, because you know I bought the licensed hermetically sealed package that is a, a authentic product right. from the breeder. 
certified by the breeder, I should say. And then these two guys would actually be comparing the same thing. Yeah. So uh, if that's important to you. Well, one one thing I'm I'm I always ask people is is what type of like terminology or slang do you use? You know, specific words in the cannabis industry that describes like the growing or the packaging or the selling or hmm. or the actions in your daily workplace. <laughs> Well, you know, all kinds of uh, words are bandied about these days. Um, we, the, I guess the one that's, uh, I, I'll show you the other side of the street before I invite you into my home here, but we sometimes get asked about CBD, concentrates, those types of uh, things, which sure. that's sort of a um, an ancillary business or a peripheral that surrounds the cannabis industry, uh, like edibles, for example, you know, those kinds of things, they all go hand in glove, but we are a producer of seeds that will give you the high quality marijuana that can then be turned into those other products. And we, we are, when I say the other other side of the street, I was kind of laughing and made a, a little bit of a joke down, down my sleeve the other day when some company asked us, we do CBD concentrates. And we were wondering, do you guys, you know, would you want to work with us? And I kind of replied, you know, have a look at our descriptions of our strains and tell me if you think that we make anything that's even remotely CBD, CBD or, right. lo- or low THC, I should say. <laughs> yeah, it's and it was kind THC. of a joke, you know, and some of our followers like had a good laugh with us, you know, so <laughs> that was kind of funny that they would ask that. Right. So do you consider your, I mean, you're, you're, the seed industry is, is both active cannabis industry as well as an ancillary would business you, would to, to some degree. I don't it's know. I'm niche. asking. I, I would call it more it, instead of ancillary as a, a niche uh, market. You know that right. growers all need seed to start to start from. It's unless such they a buy support a industry. And, uh, I I don't know why. Um, you know, I, I, I have to wax philosophical or something if I were to speak on, you know, why <laughs> yes. do people choose to grow a clone versus seeds? And, you know, why the need for so many different strains? Why can't, you know, people just say, you know, I, you know, there's, there's this one or that one and that's enough. Or, mm-hmm. But there's it's a, something like wine, you know, uh, people ha- have uh, these tastes for all the different subtleties in wine. And when you sit with somebody right. who's a, a wine connoisseur and... Uh, the sommelier comes over and, you know, you have those deep discussions about all the different qualities. This marijuana is very similar. And I remember being in my senior year of high school and we all went over to one of the cool guys' houses after school and we're all gathered around the table and guy breaks out the largest quantity of marijuana I ever saw in my life. It was like a quarter pound of Jamaican, you know, sea and uh, sticks and But it it had a color to it that wasn't, you know, like homegrown green crap, you know, that was all we had gotten up until Mm -hmm. that point or something. And uh, so they all waxed poetic. You know, they started smoking their joints and talking about how, well, you know, the bouquet and the, you know, this and that. I'm thinking like, this is like listening to people talk about wine. So um, <laughs> I think that there's that. It's true. Yeah, there's that element. To be able to describe it like, like that. that. Right. You know, there's so many coffee when you think about things that people enjoy that are like those little uh, pleasures of life, you know, the marijuana and coffee and cigars and Scotch and wine and those, t- you know, it's all um, part of that whole uh, human experience. And, right, um, it is of the palate, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, right. it's a part of that whole mosaic uh, of life, the little elements that come together to, to patch it all together. What, what about like in, in the grow room, you, you, you're, when you pollinate plants, what do you call that? Do you have a, like any special? Pollination. You just call it pollination. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and, and when you harvest plants, what do you call that? Uh, um 
you want a yeah, slang term like yeah we're cutting we're cut, cutting that room or cutting plants so cutting plants so cutting and trimming yeah, yeah. cutting trimming Cut, sure sure wet, wet trim dry trim those kinds of things right right wet trim means trim it while it's wet dry yeah. trim means yeah maybe and it's just... not that the one is um mutually exclusive it's not right. that they're mutually exclusive um Wet trim is just simply the first step. Uh, the dry trim is this, you, you still need to do the dry trim on a bud that's been wet trimmed. Sure. So we're sure, breaking absolutely. up, like uh, we did a harvest over the last few days, and uh, it was basically the procedure is go to the top cola of the plant, cut it off. Uh, maybe you're giving yourself a foot to 18 inches of uh, the top of the plant, and then you're not uh, cutting off all of the fan leaves and leaving – you know, a bit like I said earlier, in this high hum and its low humidity of uh, Colorado, we need to leave a little bit more leaf material on there so it slows down the drying process and lets that uh, cure um, at a at a better rate. And um, so that's the wet trim, and then they hang, say, seven days at most, and by then. We're able to take the individual buds off each branch and do the dry trim, which is to remove all leaf material and leave nothing but a flower bud and then, you know, carefully keep putting them into bins that are gingerly handled from that point on. Yeah. So that is like one of two tasks in uh, the business that are my least favorite. I hate staking up plants and having to tie them up and, you know, support them and so on because... I don't mind doing it the first time, but if you have to come back in like three weeks later and go, oh, shit, all these other, you know, now I got to, and it's all sticky and, you know, I don't, I just want that to be over with, or, you know, give that to somebody else or breed that out of the strain. I want the branches to be strong enough that they don't need staking anymore. <laughs> That's my ultimate goal. I'd like to have uh, plants that grow with everything that they already do, but don't need the stakes. And that would be wonderful. So I hate staking, and the other thing is the dry trimming because I explained to you earlier, I brought the guy um, for the audience out there, I brought Chip some um, Cinderella 99 that I grew from the mm. recent release of Seed, and I'm um, you know, real happy and proud of how it came out. But I'm an old-school grower, and I, it's not for sale what I make. You know, It goes in a mason jar, and I keep it in my kitchen to smoke. Thank you. I appreciate it so, so much. We Almost smoke it all already. Oh, but, yeah. Come on. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, point being, I hate trimming the dry trim. Uh, yeah. and, and if it's just for myself, there's a lot of sugar leaf left on those buds in those mason jars in my kitchen because I don't give a damn. Uh, it all gets me high. And I think uh, the, those leaves have every bit as much resin on them as the flowers do. But I have heard arguments to, you know, that no, no, you really got to get that off because the chlorophyll changes the flavor. It's much, much, much tastier without all that. And so... I have lately taken to pulling out one of my buds that I've poorly manicured and then just with my finger flicking off all of the leaves as I right. get it ready before I'll roll the joint and say, hey, that's, you know, yeah, that's it's great there protecting the, the bud the whole time, right? <laughs> it looks like shit in the jar though, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> it looks like, what amateur brought you that <laughs> jar of buds? Yeah, but you don't know how good it is like, when you break that thing open and you'll, you'll see. So I, I, I got a question from our studio audience, we'll oh, call cool. it. So one of our most dedicated listeners um, has asked to have Mr. Stoll talk about Apollo 11, Apollo 13, and the best Finos since they share the same genius mom. That's exactly right. They do share the same genius mom. 
I was explaining to Chip earlier that uh, the idea with Apollo 13 was really just to be a uh, stepping stone along the way to crossing Cinderella 99 with uh, Genius, and that was what ultimately was uh, Apollo 11. But since I was communicating with a lot of people on the internet at that time, and uh, you know there was this overgrowth group and everything starting, everyone was encouraging me to go ahead and share even that intermediate step with them. And Richard at uh, Heaven Stairway was interested even enough to, he said, hey, look, you know, if you've got even like 500 or 1,000 of those seeds, uh, let me put them up on my website and sell them. I'm sure there, there's a lot of buzz about that. And they, ah. Let's make some money, you know. So that's what Apollo 11 was about. No, 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 13. 13 was about uh, that. Remember now, yeah. So Apollo 13 was a stepping stone and uh, I didn't quite finish that thought. Let me uh, fill that in. Apollo 13 was when I was at the 75% point making Cinderella 99. I was in the P75 generation. I had a great male. P75 males, I still use them today. I mean, that is, it's just adds a lot of uh, hybrid vigor and makes the colas long and strong, builds a little bit bigger branches and such. So I like to use that P75 male. I used it on the genius mom uh, to make seed that. I called Apollo 13. I only had like 500 that I gave Richard and then he sold them. And since then, I mean, people still talk about it today, right? And that's why we're here talking about seats. and explaining wow. and answering your uh, your caller's question because this, you know, when you think about that, talk about 10 seeds per pack, that means 50 packs of seeds were sold of Apollo 13. And, you know, here we are 15, 16 years later talking about it has a little fan club uh, associated with it all over the world. So that's why so, it has the longer the longer spear buds because it's the P75 male. P75 male had that effect, right. Mm -hmm. And now- the Apollo 11's branchy, and more of a branchy. It's tighter, more compact. It has a more perfect balance of 50-50 princess genius in the phenotype, when you get the your gentleman who asked the question said phenotype, and I should indicate to him the Apollo 13, we re released it this year, you know, because of that popularity and the mm -hmm. fact that I knew that there was sort of a cult mm -hmm. following behind that. I just wanted to do that for those people that are out there and to add to, you know, the ones who would like to join the club. And also, Apollo 11 will be coming out shortly too. And the difference in the phenotypes is that Apollo 13 being less uh, locked in, you get more variation. I've seen some that can't, sure. that are almost like bonsai. They're kind of small but dense and compact. And I've seen them grow real big. But for me, you know, it wasn't, you know, the, the end result that I wanted. I'm glad people like it and I'll keep making it because they do like it, you know. And even right. Duke, Consumers my partner, right. is like Consumers a huge right. fan of the Apollo 13. But the 11 to me is like a more sublime, beautiful end result that is a good, uh, the best combination. If you look at our Instagram account, uh, Brothers Grim Seeds, at Brothers Grim Seeds, you know, on Instagram, there's a picture of Apollo 11 in both, uh, you know, there's, I think there's three pictures. In fact, we had a bud that we laid on the table and just took a picture of it before it was dry trimmed. So it was like, like spaghetti uh, leaves, all these tentacles. Uh, Tentacles uh, of leaf, <laughs> sparkly resin all over them, everything man, all over sparkles. them. Totally cool looking, right? But then, of course, we had to trim it and do the proper dry manicure, and we took a picture of it after that. And then I showed the bud while it was growing too, and um, it's so 
like resinous that when you look close up on the surfaces of the leaves and the and the flowers it's like a baby seal's fur you know what i mean that white it's so dense <laughs> and thick together i got a picture of one um i forget which one of our strains that had two seeds emerging from the pods and the resin on the pods is so like thick like the baby seal fur thing <laughs> uh, i had a lot of uh, like a huge re response on that one photo because it, it just keeps popping back up and people will go like oh my god that uh, apollo 11 when it's growing i believe is a denser more resinous uh, better tasting more predictable result um, the A13 is going to be some variation, and among those um, phenotypes, people like a sort of a lemon pledgy smell, mm -hmm. um, a chemi, chemi gassy, um, fuel kind of right. uh, smell coming from that same kind of mm -hmm. base of a lemony, um, and that's what the Apollo 13 is kind of like to me. And I don't have that refined a palate for um, the aromas and the tastes as one might imagine, but I know that the circle of people around me uh, usually are a good source of how I can refine, okay, well, what I think it is and what they then suggest to me. It's like my wife always ha tells me, like, you know, I'll, I'll taste something and she'll say, what do you taste? <clears throat> and I'm usually close, but, you know, it's one of those things where I'm just shitty at doing that, picking it out of the back of my brain. You know, I'll, I'll say... It's a uh, tropical, um, like a coconutty, uh, fucking mango, you asshole! I'm like, yes, that's in mango, <laughs> you know. And but yeah, I knew it was my I'll brain like knew it was me. mango, you know. <laughs> but uh, I just can't put my my tongue, uh, my finger on it, or whatever you. And uh, <laughs> so it's like that with the pot too. And what the I'll pot. think, like, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll say, what's it taste like to you, Tommy? You know, and he'll be like, well, it's this, that, and the other thing. I'm like, yes, that's what it was. You know, I. I thought it was this but now that you say it it's more that <laughs> i don't know why i'm like that but it works for me <laughs> and um so to answer the gentleman's question the phenotypes to look for in the a13 i would say you know if you like that gassy lemony uh try to find one that grows vigorous enough and big enough um and anyway wh where are you going to find them uh, you know other than buying our new seeds which um he's to waiting to buy your new seeds oh, okay. i guarantee you <laughs> well, we have, we have the Apollo 13 still available. We sold out of a couple already. We were out of the Grimdica and uh, Hashmaster. Oh, all right. Because we only had the two Indica strains, and um, people yeah, are buying them up like crazy. I believe that was one of my other questions is the Grimdica. Oh, yeah, Grimica. I'd like to hear about the new Rosetta Stone and the Grimica. It's Grimdica. Grimdica. Yeah, Grimdica. I mean, you know, because we're kind of like uh, sure. sort of the in the implication there. Yeah, the implication was uh, it's Indica, right? Mm -hmm. And we're brothers, brothers Grim, so Grimdica. Grimdica. And it's the, it's con the, the connotation that I'm trying to impart on that uh, moniker is that it's our definition of Indica. Mm -hmm. So we, you know, we even put our name on it. It's Grimdica. We will uh, get more of it out there. And I think the international supplier just tapped us uh, for everything we had recently. And it's, so it's, it's on its way to being redistributed all throughout the world. But at the moment, uh, for the U.S. distribution, we were open since April. And here we are, the end of uh, August. People have had their chance to get it and buy it up here. And so we had whatever we had left, we sent out to the worldwide market. And, um, but Cinderella 99, we have, um, made sure that we wouldn't run out of that and Apollo 13, um, the 
Rosetta Stone you asked about is an amazing strain. I would say that, you know, if you're going to get anything that's new from us, that would be my top recommendation. It is a Jack Herrer female crossed to that P75 male that I was telling you about how it really seems to add that hybrid vigor and give you a bigger, uh, larger colas and things like that while not taking away from what that female generally would bring to the table. And it seemed to result in the Rosetta Stone giving us two main phenotypes, three, I'll get into the third one, but mainly the first two are that you have a compact Jack Herrer, which grows bigger, thicker um, buds on a stockier frame. Again, you know, getting away from the staking and netting and stuff and trying to make these plants stand on their own. And it's really, I hit I hit it on this one. I got the Jack Herrer uh, flavor and the Jack Herrer aroma. It's just dead nuts right on that sandalwoody cologne that I, I told you earlier I would like to have mm-hmm. it turned into a men's <laughs> cologne. Well, that scent is on that stocky frame, but we also have another phenotype that is huge. It looks like a, a juniper tree. You know, like when you go to France and you see those long, tall trees that are uh, along the sides of the road, right? I think they call them junipers. I'm not sure. But anyway, (laughs) they have that elongated, you know, stretched out oval shape. And that's how this thing is like a Christmas tree. Christmas tree. Christmas tree. Like a Christmas tree. And uh, (laughs) I grew up with that as a slang terminology for great weed. mm -hmm. Christmas tree. Christmas tree. (laughs) Uncle Leroy (laughs) passed the reef. (laughs) That's why they call it reefer, maybe, huh? Reefer, man. Yeah, Yeah, I grew up in in the South. we always had slings reef, for everything. Reef, reef, reef. Right. Pass the reefer. Pass the reefer, man. I like to have a reefer. Yeah, fire it up. Some people give me roll a hog leg. Some awesome joints here, and uh, and the concentrates and things like that that I've smoked. Uh, some of that's some pretty nice stuff. But I, don't let me drift off. Where was we? Where was we? Where, where oh, were the, uh, we? The Rosetta man. Stone huge phenotype. This thing is like uh, yeah, some kind of tall Christmas tree. And the buds are really long, huge donkey dick type things, right? And they curve up from the stalk in in an almost like upright way so that the weight isn't pulling them sideways and falling down. So they stand up. We want to test it outside next year, but um, we're going to keep the clone of the one that we have going right now in flowering. And it's just extremely um, impressive. So I would say uh, the third phenotype is the stocky phenotype that just doesn't seem to put out as much resin and have the right flavor. You'll get a few. You're just going to find the ones that are like, oh, but this one is really outstanding. So you'll call out the ones that uh, you know aren't your favorite and pick that one and just clone ad infinitum from there if I were growing with that myself, you know. Right. Awesome. What well, else did you want? Which other strain were I believe, you I believe the other Rosetta question Stone? was what's, uh, yeah, R- Rosetta Stone. Yeah, right, we just right. covered that. Right, Rosetta Stone, Grim, uh, Grimdica. Grimdica. Oh, Grimdica. Like I say, it's our in, it's, it's our indica, indica, and I'll I'll go a little deeper, uh, next level deeper. Next level, it's, next level stuff right here. Real a, dirt. This is the real dirt. It's an F one. Remember, we were talking about those F numbers F1s, earlier. Yeah. It's a great example of an F one. This is an Afghani um, of one particular area of Afghanistan, crossed with another Afghani from a another region of ah. Afghanistan. Okay. <clears throat> so it's a, it's a, you know, two unrelated. Yeah, that are unrelated exactly. but look similar. Parental stock. That's true. The, the P number is used too, and P stands for parental stock. So you P1 from one area and say P, we'll call it P2 from the other. And then we make an F1 hybrid 
And that's what we're calling grimdica. And that's why when you grow those seeds, you're getting a, a plant that every one of them looks like the other. And they are yeah, really right. predictable in terms of not only their height and diameters and uh, uh, resin production, flowering time, everything. You know, they all finish together. Yeah, that sounds great. We've done another generation. Of, we have never mentioned this to anybody yet, but we crossed well, that to a skunk. More real dirt. Yeah, yeah we, do a, we do a skunk number one from the old days, like the SSSC. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, skunk sweet. number one. We took our original skunk number one. Euro, Euro skunk or original? No, from the original, original, uh, original Super Sativa Seed Club seed. Listen to that. Real dirt right here. We got both a female and a male from some seeds that we had saved from the old days on that one. And by the way, you can never save seeds for like 10, 20 years unless you freeze them. So mm-hmm. if yeah. people are wondering about how to keep seeds for a long time, that's how you do it. Um, so we took out uh, frozen seed. We made um, skunk number one all over again from the 80s. We got the male to cross to our Grimdica and recently uh, are looking at the results of that. And it's making these amazing, mm, big, chunky, big, uh, huge with, uh, with a crazy aroma, you know. So we'll see what happens from there. We might not just release that seed line. We may use that mm. to get to like as a stepping stone, as I often do All to right. a, an, an end result. I, I don't release uh, in general the stepping stones along the way, but uh, we're on our way to something there that looks really promising. Yeah, and, Afghan skunk, <clears throat> man, that's always a great combo. That's for sure. And I posted today and pretty recently we did the uh, genius to the haze thing, you know, and that's been... Mm. Super Silver Haze or? Super Silver Haze Cinderella 99. And the the parents there were, there's a Cinderella 99 cut that's been going around that was from the original seed, obviously, from Seven Stairway, and they called it the Grail. Uh, Yeah, sure. Right, it's kind of known among people who collect elite clones as the Grail cut of C99. Well, um, reliable breeder, friend, uh, in our little uh, network of uh, friends, took that, Grail C99 crossed it to a super silver haze male that he had been working with and had tested out and had seen. Remember earlier I was explaining to you how do you test a male and see, you know, is he any good or not? Well, what's the real proof of the pudding? It would be what kind of daughters does he make? You know, breed him to several females and see what's the common denominator. What's the effect that he has across the board? Well, this guy had done the research, know what kinds of effects that the super silver haze male gave to the equation, crossed it to the grail, and the resulting seeds, we got some, grew them out, got a great-looking male, crossed it to both Princess and Genius and Cinderella 99 and uh, Apollo 13, you know, and we just wanted to see across the board what will be the effects of that. And right now I've been posting... Uh, oh, your some, Instagram account's on my, great. Thank you. Yeah, loving, loving seeing those quality photos. That's thank sure. you. Yeah, you should check out uh, at um, Mr. Soul underscore C99 as well. That's where most of my like personal uh, photography stuff is. Uh, and right, then great. the Brothers Grimm Seeds is um, specifically to the company uh, things, uh, only pictures of stuff that really relates to the company uh, directly. So um, enjoy that. Uh, and Duke Diamond... Uh, it's Duke underscore Diamond underscore VA. He's my partner. Uh, he's the other half of uh, Brothers Grimm and brings an enormous contribution to the equation. Uh, the guy's got uh, 30 incredible elite clones, and he's been a grower breeder um, 
for 20 years. He's 36 years old. So he basically started at 16 years old, grew up in a uh, farming community in Virginia, growing tomatoes and, you know, got all the right kind of experience to know yeah, right. what to do in this business. And, uh, and he's just a really solid, great guy too. So we have a wonderful partnership. I'm enjoying working with him. And I just got sidetracked completely on where I was going until mm-hmm. I started talking. Yeah, you, you, we talked about Rosetta Stone. We yeah. talked about Grimdica. And the last question was the, the best phenotypes. phenotype of A11. Oh, the A11. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're very consistent. So all you want to look for there is which plant do you think is um, the size and resin production and flavor that suits you most. And it's going to be a fine difference between them all. You're, they're all going to be pretty close, and you're all gonna, almost going to say, well, I'm not so sure whether this one is just doing better because it's under a, better, a little bit better, a little more sweet spot under the light, or is it because you know it's mm-hmm. actually a better sister than her sister? You know, They're that close. Uh, you right. just It's going to be a personal preference at that point, but they're all going to be fast flowering, high mm-hmm. resin production, up to the point where, like I say, it looks like baby seal fur on the, the mm-hmm. leaves and flowers. And if you go to our Instagram account, you will see a really nice picture of that. Um, just scroll down a little ways and just put it in that linear uh, format where you can scroll down and not have to go back and forth from the, the big grid to each picture one at a time, if you follow. I'm no kid, you know, and I know how to do that. <laughs> so <laughs> You're right. anyway, it is a not a difficult thing. You, you will know the right phenotype. But you don't need me to help. <laughs> Grow half a dozen of them and, and find a great looking female that suits your nose and your you know palate and your growing style, and uh, it'll be clear to you. In fact, if I were there trying to tell you which one to pick, you'd probably argue with me and say, no, 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 I like this one better. <laughs> That's awesome. I don't know. Well, you know, it's it's been an incredible conversation today. I think we could sit and talk here for hours. We're going to have no to have a part two it. in the future. I would be happy uh, to do it. Really appreciate you coming over, Mr. Soul. It's been Thanks, Chip. You know, a fun time, that's for sure. Thanks for having me. All right, Real Dirt, Mr. Soul, Chip Baker. That's it. That's it.